Merry Christmas and welcome to a very special edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Heading into Christmas, we thought we would do one final show before the big man in the red coat slides down the chimney to bring you a little bit of mojo, something (laughs) in your Santa's sack to get your mojo working in and out of work. We have a special guest this week, uh, and we call her a force of nature, one of the most beautiful ladies on the planet. Patria King is going to join us very, very shortly here in the studio. Before we do, mate, uh, we're getting pretty close to Christmas. We are getting very close to Christmas. Here, while you're sitting there, I've got something special for you too. Have a taste of this. Tiger snake eggnog. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that I was worried about. It was a piece of mistletoe you were handing over my head. That was the thing I was most concerned about. We're close, but not that close. The fact you're sitting here in your mojo undies. Yeah, uh, and my Santa Claus hat. There's some things you can't unsee, folks. (laughs) Merry Christmas, everybody. Mojo Radio Show. Now, I just want to mention one quick shout out. Mm. Uh, one of our super fans, Tash Wells, who has been a super fan for a little while now for the Mojo Radio Show, sent us a very special thank you. Loved Rocktober. Thought the production, the guests, the energy, the takeaways were brilliant. In fact, gold. However, the thing I wanted to mention was that Tash went on and ordered her caveman coffee and MCT oil, which had arrived, and the discount Gary still worked. Hey, nice one. There you go. So if you would like some of Tate Fletcher's brew and the MCT oil I have every day, it is just the bomb. Uh, You can still get it online at cavemancoffee.com.au. Go in there, drop in the code Gary, the discount, and you get a discount on your purchase. So it still works. So uh, thanks, Dash. Thanks for getting in touch. And thanks to uh, Tate for looking after our listeners. Happy Christmas to both of you. It's Santa here. A very Merry Christmas and the happiest New Year. Ho, ho, ho. The Mojo Radio Show. Now, we have a special show this week, folks. We're going to rip right into it. And here's the setup for it. Robbo and I were talking in the studio, and it just seems to us that we're getting a little sidetracked away from Christmas by sales and specials and discounts and the hustle and bustle of retail, all the offers, and trying to get stuff done before the morning of the 25th of December. So we thought we would slow things down, reset, refocus, and re-engage with Christmas. And so we have a very special guest on the line. Patria King runs Quest for Life, which is a fabulous, fabulous location down in the southern highlands of New South Wales here in Australia. A force of nature. Patria, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. It has been a while since you were with us. In fact, you were with us in May 2015. And before we start, I promise you we're better. We've gotten better. (laughs) Don't make promises we can't keep, mate. Come on. (laughs) For those, we, we, and I think it's fair to say our audience is substantially larger than it was back the first time we had you as a guest on the show. 
When people talk to you, Patria, how do you describe the work you're doing day to day? Oh, look, I think sometimes we lose our connection with our own innate spirit and our work really is about giving people back a connection to themselves, you know, their authentic self so that they feel okay within themselves. And also we all need to build resilience to deal with the unexpected things that happen in life. And I want to dig into resilience today and this is our our special Christmas show and I want to dig into resilience and grit and all the things that make up our world. But just to set the premise for us, for people who may not have heard the first show in May 2015, can you give us a little summary of the journey you have been through personally to get you to where you are today at Quest for Life? Well, this is very fresh in my mind because I've been writing my memoir over the last uh, couple of weeks. Yes, which comes out next year. Um, So uh, there's a a big difference between the bones of a person's story and the flesh that hangs off those bones. The the bones are kind of the historical events that happen in any person's life. The flesh is where all of the emotions are. So I can rattle off the bones easily now because I've chewed on the flesh considerably over the years. But I I was born um, just a little while after my mad chaotic brother who probably invented ADHD 20 years before anyone knew what that was and so growing up with the chaos of Brendan was very challenging and when uh, before he was 10 he told me that he knew he had to take his own life by the time he was 30 and I took that on as being my responsibility that's why I'm alive I'm here to keep Brendan safe and to make sure that he doesn't fulfill that commitment I remember thinking at that time, I have to grow up really quickly so I can look after Brendan. And interestingly, I grew 23 centimetres in the next few months, uh, which is nine inches for those of us who are my age. And uh, my knee swivelled in and started dislocating. So I ended up having three years in hospital, having my femurs cut and my lower legs turned out and my tibias cut and them turned in. And then my knee swivelled in again, so they did that all over again. So I had many, many surgeries and was told I'd never walk again. Not long after that, I went, um, you know, I did teach myself to walk again, went into nursing, hurt my back nursing. I was raped while I was in a back brace. Um, My brother was going into depression and had already attempted suicide a couple of times. I was quite crippled with arthritis. Uh, I married some very strange people, one of whom was violent and the other I won't even mention. Um, Brendan did finally take his own life and he did that in Kathmandu where none of us could really get to him in time. And just after that, I moved to America with my husband to do our yoga and meditation teacher training and we'd only been there four weeks when I thought he'd gone for a long walk but he'd gone back to Australia. And then just after that, I was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia and I was relieved because I was given three months to live and I felt this is too hard. I don't know how to do a good life. Maybe I can do a good death, but be blowed if I know how to do a good life. And it was from there really then um, of really coming unstuck. Uh, I ended up in a little cave outside of Assisi in a, a monastery where St. Francis used to retreat to pray and meditate. And it was in that little cave that I first began to weep because in our family you didn't do weeping. Uh, you did coping 
And so I, I was so terrified of tears because I thought if I start to cry, I might never stop or I'll disintegrate into a million fragments and that'll be the end of me. And yet it was through that sobbing and the release of all of those emotions of grief and sadness and chronic pain and loss and trauma and a whole range of things that I gradually came to a place of great peace with myself. When I came back to Australia, um, unexpectedly I was in a remission that the doctors said wouldn't happen and they said I would only have that remission for maybe a few days, maybe a few weeks. So I found that very challenging because by then I had my whole life all packed up in this little suitcase all ready for the big trip and then the plane got cancelled and I was faced with how much do you unpack, how much do you live with uncertainty. And so since then I've been working with other people who are at some kind of crossroads in their life because they're facing their mortality or they're depressed or dealing with grief, loss, PTSD, trauma, whatever it might be. And 110,000 conversations later, um, I'm still as lit up about it as ever because really the only thing that matters is finding your way home to your own self and to find that sense of peace that um, isn't dependent on what's going on in your body or in your life or in your chaotic brain. So for me, that's still a joy. In writing your memoir, in recent times, mm. you've talked about the bones and the flesh. Has there been a part of the flesh that has revealed itself that you weren't aware of at the time? Oh, indeed. Indeed, because in our family we always coped with everything and we never talked about how we felt. We only talked about what we thought. Um you know, for instance, Dalcross Hospital in Kalara, where I spent three years, I went there just the other day and stood in the same place where the bed was, even though the building's been gutted and refurbished. And I could feel all of the emotions of that little lonesome 13, 14, 15-year-old girl who felt so awkward and so um, alone with the pain and... Uh, so it was very interesting in writing my memoir to actually visit the emotions that were in the flesh that I'd long forgotten or ignored um, and to find that they were very much alive and, you know, we still have these issues are in our tissues um, until we bring them to consciousness and, and witness them and embrace them with some mm. compassion and some gentleness. What's Christmas mean to Patria? After going through what you've been through, it's an extraordinary story and you're doing such beautiful work for people around our country. What does Christmas mean for you personally? Well, when I was diagnosed with leukaemia, I was told I wouldn't see Christmas, which was three months away from when I was diagnosed. So the first Christmas, of course, um, that I survived uh, was a, a kind of little milestone. But I think everyone since is a recognition and a time of reflection for me that am I living the life I came here to live and am I living a life congruent and authentic with my uh, values and the things that really matter to me, which are, of course, the people in our lives. And do I still have that deep sense of connection to my own innate spirit, the, the spirit that enlivens all things? Um, so for me, it's a time of love and connection and reflection that 
to really honor and be grateful for what I have in my life and just a kind of review of the the year and uh, whether there's anything that I need to attend to in my life. I think that's a good thing to reflect on at the end of every year, the past year, and and do I need to change anything in order to more fully embrace the coming year? I'm just curious about this, Patria. Is there a sense of envy that sits around Christmas? I mean, Christmas to me seems today to be carrying a lot of expectations, and particularly with the access we have to other people's worlds. We always see these idyllic photos, pictures, images, videos of other people's Christmas. Do we, yeah. are we carrying a sense of envy with us and expectation around what our Christmas should be in light of other people? Oh, I think so. I think so. And I think that's such an illusion for so many families uh, because, you know, families are often, the people we grow up with are often our pearl makers. You know, they're the people we rub up against in order to discover who we are and what we value. And not everyone has that happy family. If you were born into the family of your spirit, that's a major blessing. But a lot of us are born into the family of our blood, which are the people that help us to discover who we are and what we value. And so pulling people together and expecting, having this huge presumption that it's going to be happy families when that hasn't been the historical experience of the family is an unfair and unrealistic expectation to place on everyone. And of course, if you add alcohol into that, uh, that can be a source of of great um, upset and where we end up saying and doing things that we might later regret. The family of our spirit tend to be the people we gather in a lifetime that we really love and who celebrate us when we grow and change. And that's often not the family. You know, that's often um, uh, other people who come into our lives. So I think, you know, the expectation, sometimes people find it helpful to put some clear boundaries around how long they're going to spend with uh, their family because, you know, that way we can keep it contained for that two hours, three hours that we might choose to be with people that we actually find quite different from ourselves. Um, And for other families, of course, it is a joy. If you do, though, have had some encounter during the year with what we call one of the Ds, you know, a divorce, a death, a diagnosis, a disaster or drama of some kind, that can add a whole other layer to people's experience around these gatherings because there may be a gaping absence of someone who has always been with us and who isn't here this year or someone may be contemplating this is my last Christmas uh, and so how do I want to make that a special event? What is it that I want to bring to this particular event? Uh, for some people, you know, with split families, there's going to be the juggling of children between different destinations and how do we put aside our irritability and our fractiousness so that children have a very special day in a family where there may be a split. Uh, so these things, I think, require some advanced consideration. It's not enough to hope that we get through Christmas. 
hope has to have legs. It has to be underpinned by effort. And so we may need to plan how are we going to skillfully uh, have a day that's special for us all, but that acknowledges the death of the, the person that might have left the family this year or the, the divorce or the drama or the disaster, whatever it is that might have happened during the year. How do we acknowledge that without it overshadowing and, and um, stalling the whole day? You just mentioned children and we... We had a Navy SEAL on the show only a few weeks ago, Patria, and I asked him after his years of serving how he was raising his children. And and the response he gave us was very profound. And I said to him, what's the most important thing we can say to a child? And he said, I love you and I'm proud of you. And Robbo and I both really took that on board and we've been really concentrating on that and do and physically and mentally and and vocally doing that with our own kids. On the Christmas period, with all the people you've interacted with and people who really are bearing their feelings, their emotions, mm. what what do you think is the most important message for us to get across to kids around Christmas and the New Year period? Look, I think what really enriches Christmas is the awareness of other people and the challenges that they may have in their life and to have a sense of gratitude for what we have in our own life. So I think it's really useful with our children to have some activity that connects them with people who are less fortunate than themselves. And that that is hand in hand with us having all of the lavishness that we tend to have around Christmas with presents and special food and and special coming together of people. Let's not forget others who may not be having as good a time as ourselves. So, you know, I know with my children... Um, on Christmas morning, many, many years ago, I started a voluntary massage program at St. Vincent's Hospital for people with AIDS because having just gone through my own illness, I couldn't imagine how it was to be so sick and no one wanted to touch you uh, because at that time they were leaving meals outside the door. And so uh, this voluntary massage program became a way of giving something to people who were often not touched by anybody. Um, And so my children would make drawings and little baskets with Uh, We call them Whiffy Waffies, little treats of some sort or another. And so we would go into the hospital on Christmas morning because if you're still in hospital on Christmas Day, there's a real reason for you to be there. Uh, And I'd give the the boys um, a massage on the AIDS ward and the children would hand out uh, their little baskets of things that they'd made and um, that had some fruit and other bits and pieces in it as well. So we did that first up on Christmas morning and then we had the rest of the day to ourselves. But I think it instilled in my children that sense that it's very important to remain connected to the larger family of humanity rather than just our own particular family. And that was helpful. I know other people, though, um, I think writing a letter every Christmas to your children can also be a really powerful message. And we've often talked about using the framework of I notice, I imagine, I feel. 
as a framework for people to write letters. So I notice is I've been reflecting on you and me and our life together. I imagine is this could be your perspective of what's happened and I feel is how I feel about what's happened. So it can be I notice that um, you know, as you grew up, you had these fabulous qualities and talents and you were always fabulous with animals or you had a, a kind word for everyone or you're a real team player or you have a great sense of humour or you tell the child what it is that you see that's of value in them and that's unique to them. So you speak to the being rather than the behaviour. And lots of unexpected things have happened in our lives over this last 12 months. And I imagine for you, this was a real challenge. And yet I feel so proud of the young person that I see emerging from the little girl, the boy, because you embraced that challenge and you brought your integrity or your honesty or your humor or whatever it was that you saw that the child brought to that event during the year. And it just gives back to our children a sense of themselves and a sense of respect and the value that you see in them and that builds their own self-esteem, but not in a showy kind of way, but in a deep way that what really matters in life are the values that we live by. And if we affirm those on an annual basis for our children at some special time of the year like Christmas or their birthday, uh, then it can be a way of, of building that sense of self-respect for the child. Gary? That's Yuletide gold. <laughs> well, actually, I was thinking gold baubles, gold tinsel. Yes. And forest, and forest gold. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that's that's amazing. That was beautiful, yeah, Patrice. That is uh, the show just paid for itself. Um, <laughs> you you speak so eloquently and beautiful. It obviously comes from loads and loads of conversations with people who are bearing their emotions, bearing their feelings, and you talk beautifully about communication. I'd be curious to know about at Christmas time when you take a quiet moment. And the people and the food, everything else aren't around. How should we communicate with ourselves? You, you've seen it. You've been bedside with people. You've seen the good, the bad, and unfortunately, the brutally ugly. How should we think about communicating with ourselves during this period? Well, I think to set aside some time for your own private reflection is very important. And to... Sometimes we're, we're so averse to coming near to our inner perspective of things that we fill up our life with busyness, with relationships, with the pressure of time, and that we, we don't really have a deep sense of connection to our own selves. We're too busy living our version of life or even other people's version of our life. So I think the greatest thing that we can do is to cultivate a deep understanding of ourselves. You know, they, they have been saying it for millennia, know thyself. If you really know and have an understanding of yourself and you bring some compassion and humanity to that, then it helps you to be more genuine and authentic in your relationships because you come from that real place, that authentic place within yourself where there are no pretenses and there are no filters between you and the world, filters of judgment, filters of 
well, it's mostly judgment, isn't it? That we look at the world and see people as less than, more than, better than, worse than, different from us. And when you know yourself and you recognize that the life that enlivens me is the life that enlivens everyone. And if we really get that, then how could we do to another what we wouldn't do to ourselves because we would see the other as ourselves. And so for me, we need to cultivate in our young people particularly this deep reverence for life and how precious life is rather than wait until we're confronted by our mortality to recognize how incredibly precious life is and how extraordinary it is whether you believe in a creator or the big bang whatever before there was something there was nothing and then you know what was created the material world that was created has developed into more and more complexity so that we can even have a conversation like this is pretty extraordinary where we can talk about the source of our own being so I think to cultivate that relationship with our innermost self and to align ourselves with life means that we respect our body we respect our brain we recognize i'm not my body but i do have one i'm not my brain but i do have one and we want to use our brain and not be used by our brain we want to use our feelings not be used by them we want to use our body not have our body dictate our own inner reality Radio show. You've talked about the fact that our inner world is in conflict with our outer world. And mm-hmm. it seems to me that many of us today are putting on a brave face. Yeah. We are posting images that make our world look great. We are looking yeah. to impress others to say that it is all good, life's great, look at me. And we post these things in a, in a great light to make people look at our world and go, it's good. But when you strip it back to me, Patria, it seems that there is internal strife and trouble. People are tired. They've got conflicts. They're not loving their work. Yeah. They don't have the energy. They're living on caffeine. I was not like wrong with coffee. But um, yeah. 
Is there, an, is there a conflict between these two worlds? And if there is, how do we resolve it? Well, I guess that's why I'm a fan of suffering. <laughs> Because <laughs> suffering makes us You've come to the right place. <laughs> <laughs> suffering makes us wake up, and so often we're satisfied with the mediocrity. It doesn't hurt enough for us to want to change, and it's not sometimes until we hurt enough to get to that place where we say, "That's it. Something has to change," and it's me. I can't change the D. I can't change what happened. I can't change the disappointment, the drama, the disagreement, the disloyalty, the diagnosis, the death, the divorce, the drama, the disaster. I can't change that. What I can change is who I'm going to be in relation to that. Am I going to be defined by that or can I be more than that? And I think it's the suffering that often gets us to that place where we want peace more than anything, more than being right, more than hanging on to righteous indignation, more than hanging on to blame, to shame. We want peace more than a cure. And once we want peace more than anything, the whole universe conspires to bring it about because that's what we're all here for. We're here to let go what's become second nature to us so that we reveal and live in and experience our first nature, our essential nature, before we took on the limitations, the anxieties, the judgments, the beliefs about ourselves, about others, about life. Because those are what stand in the way between us feeling at one with each other or feeling separate from each other. And so suffering has a wonderful capacity to uh, enliven us and encourage us to give up our judgments and to find our common humanity. And so that's why I'm a keen um, engager, I guess, with suffering because I know it's often the very thing that breaks us open to a much larger version of ourselves and a much more creative ability to engage with the challenges that we have in our lives. Tria, when you go through your own personal moments of doubt, what inner dialogue do you bring to the fore? Look, I must say that when you meditate and you live mindfully, all of the inner chatter stops. So I don't actually have any... Um, now I, I can see myself shrinking. For instance, I've just done a photo shoot. It's not my favorite thing to do. And I can see the part of me that prefers not to be in front of the camera. But now I just put that aside and do the job. Uh, so there was a time, though, when what was second nature to me, which was to feel embarrassed and I didn't want anyone focusing their attention on me or any of that stuff. You know, I could run a whole story on that because that's my history. That was what was second nature to me. And it's interesting that we call these things second nature because you hear it now all the time. It's second nature for me to think like this, feel like this, react like this. And no one ever questions, well, what's your first nature? We talk about that second one like we know exactly what that's about. But you see, once the brain quietens down because you live mindfully and you live in the present moment, you have access to some wonderful qualities, your qualities of creativity, insight, intuition, wisdom, humor, spontaneity. All of those things 
are at our disposal when the brain is quiet. When the brain is enlivened with our story that's second nature to us, we put up all of the filters and judgments between ourselves and the world. And so now I don't really have any inner chatter. It's nice and quiet in there. And uh, I value so much having access to creativity, insight, intuition, wisdom, humour, all of those things. They're the juicy things that we have in our life. Over the last year or so, Patria, Robbo and I have been talking to Olympians and sleep experts, uh, world champion brain surgeons, a mutual mate of ours, Dr. Charlie Teo, about... Yeah, no, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, who's just a wonderful, wonderful human being. And mm. we've spoken to these guys about bringing yourself to the moment. And yeah. you just mentioned a little bit of dialogue about, you know, being mindful and bringing yourself to the moment. And what occurred to me is that Christmas Day to me, we spend 364 days a year looking forward to it. We do all this prep work. Before we know it, we're comatose on the couch. We're full of food, few drinks, and we are watching whatever rubbish is on television. And it just seems to have gone by in a blink. And then you're setting up for boxing day. And before you know it, you're back at work and you're into it again. What's... What's something we can do, a physical, tangible, sensory thing we could do to bring ourselves to the moment on Christmas Day where rather than just be a series of posts and pictures and conversations and grabbing food and scoffing it, is there a, is there a way to create a mindful Christmas where you actually can pause the, pause the clock and be in the moment? Mm-hmm. Look, some families like to, before they sit down, or at least before they start to eat, just to join hands, to look at one another, to say something uh, that's meaningful, you know, how wonderful it is, and we give thanks for the opportunity of being together and to enjoying each other's company and this bountiful table together. You know, sometimes we feel a little bit shy about doing things like that because it makes us more vulnerable, but they're really powerful things to do. And you might just want to, I mean, my, my own particular practice, which is a constant practice, not five minutes would ever go past that I'm not doing this, is simply to come to my senses. So finding some point in the day where you deeply come to your senses and that means, you know, bottom on the seat, feet on the floor, touch of your clothing, the air against your skin, all of the sounds within and outside of the space that you're in, whatever taste is in your mouth, whatever aroma is in the air, whatever falls within your sight, so that you bring yourself wholeheartedly into the present moment. That's why we say to people having a panic attack, come to your senses because the body's always in the present moment. The mind is forever projecting into the future or rehashing the past. The body's always here now. And so my constant practice is to connect with the senses of my body. And I learned to do that as a young person because I've got something weird with my ligaments and if I don't move and walk consciously, I rip ligaments in my legs and in other parts of my body as well. So I have to move consciously. And so they've become a blessing to me because they're my anchor to the present moment. And that practice of coming to your senses. Uh, so before you start the hubbub of the day, before you commence the meal, before you wash up, before you do anything, 
just spend a moment coming to your senses until that becomes second nature to you so that you live in your first nature. Petria, is there a feeling for some people? And the reason I asked this question, I was speaking with a number of different positive psychologists on the show over the last number of months, and they talked about a default voice in our minds that is I'm not worthy or the imposter syndrome, Mm. I'm going to get found out or I shouldn't be doing this, I haven't done enough to deserve this. Is that something Mm -hmm. that you have observed happens over Christmas and New Year where people feel as though they don't have the right to be have joy or have fun or engage or relax? Sometimes, yes. I mean, and, and that depends a little bit on that uh, programming that you're talking about, what's second nature to us, to see that our cup is half empty rather than half full. Um, and that often shows up more at Christmas because we compare our life to everybody else's. And if you think for a moment that all of those happy pictures and those tables laden with food, that everybody in the world out there is having a life like that, it it really can heighten your sense that you don't feel at peace with yourself, you don't feel at peace with your family, you don't have the abundance that other people have. So these are, you know, Christmas, I think, gives us the glowing reflection of how we would all life like life to be, but it's also a very sharp contrast for all of those people for whom life isn't like that. When you look back over your extraordinary story to this day, Patria, what's, if you had to pick one thing or person that had the greatest impact upon you as Patria, what or who would it be? Wow. Look, I could start with my grandmother. She was an amazing woman um, who was full of life and full of generosity and humanity and fun and compassion. So I could start with her, but then, you know, Father Illerino, the old priest who took me in when I had no love for myself and and he loved me as a stranger, you know, and, and so he was an inspiration to me. Uh, really in a way to create quests so that there would be a safe place for other people who were struggling with uh, life's challenges that I was provided with a safe space in which I could unravel and, and weep the tears and come to find some peace within myself. And so, you know, having quest as a place where other people can come and unravel themselves and then find the pathway to their peace has been a great blessing to me. So I think it's those people who demonstrate service and and that we're connected and that we're here to love have always been the greatest influences really of my life. So for Patria, what what do you want that you don't have? Oh, look, um, I've, I've got absolutely everything that I personally could wish for. I would love to see a lot more happen at Quest so that we could do a lot more with the, the skills and the talents of the facilitators and counsellors and, and people that we have here. There's so much more work to be done in building people's um, reverence for their own life and building their resi- resilience to life and 
so that everyone can make the contribution that they came here to make. And we know that many people have had very difficult stories and very difficult uh, things that have happened in their life. And it's often those people who are in a position to be most useful to other people who are new to that territory, whatever that suffering might be. Not because they've got the answers for other people, but because they're familiar with the territory and they're not afraid to have those difficult conversations that we sometimes need to have. So I would just like to see uh, Quest for Life really achieve so much more uh, than we've been able to up until now. Uh, and but all of that's on the horizon. So I don't feel any any lack for anything really. I feel incredibly blessed and wonderfully supported and and wonderfully uh, nurtured and loved by staff and my partner and life in general. So I I don't have any lack, which is a blessing. Before I hand you a rubber for the big question, um, to <laughs> books that had an impact on me in the last number of years that I always reflect on this time of the year. One was The Five Regrets of the Dying by Bronnie Ware, which I guarantee you're very across. Mm-hmm. And Chasing Daylight by Eugene O'Kelly, which was about the global CEO for KPMG who was diagnosed with a brain tumour, but he had 100 days to live. Mm-hmm. But during that 100 days, he was very coherent and very mobile. Wow. And he wrote a book about those, basically that hundred days, and his wife mm. does the last chapter. And I, whenever I'm, I'm on the speaking circuit, it's one of the books I always mention to executives to say, "Look, you need to sit down and read this to ensure that the direction and the dreams you've got, you're not going to regret mm. or have mm. things undone." Mm. In your work down there, you have sat and had incredibly deep emotional conversations with people who are in their last moments of life. In your mind, what would be the greatest regret that people are leaving the planet with? Well, I, I guess it's the greatest for each person, but for some it's certainly why didn't I tell people that I loved them is a big one. You know, I guess another one is why didn't I live a life that was authentic to what I wanted instead of living someone else's version of my life. Uh, But I think telling the people that you share your life with how dear they are to you and what, how much you love them and how much you've learned from them uh, is a great regret for many people. So I guess that one and not living the life they felt they came here to live and having the regret that they didn't embrace life with greater courage and and less fear. Patria, I think you're sufficiently warmed up now. I think I've done my job (laughs) in softening you up, getting getting the engine running. Uh, I'm I'm certainly sufficiently caffeinated. Uh, (laughs) Well, there's a surprise there really, isn't there, let's be honest. The Buddha Brew. I wish actually what we will do, Patria, do you like coffee? Absolutely. Love it. Well, what I'm going to do is for Christmas time, I'm going to send you a present. I'm going to send you the Mojo Radio Show Soap on a Rope, which I know you've been dying to get a hold of. Oh, wonderful. Um, (laughs) And I'm going to send you the Buddha Brew. And it is a brew. It's, I guess, say, (laughs) it's surprisingly good. We did it as a fun stunt with a local roaster uh, who has a a farm near me called Fish River Roasters and 
it's essentially a blend of five different beans from the religious capitals of the world. And mm-hmm. uh, it's said to give the karma to the Dalai Lama <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's divination through caffeination. Um, so we will organise for Pete Harrison to do a special roast and I will put some in the mail to you to get down to you Thank for you. Christmas time because uh, Rob and I are both high on life. Uh, and if you, if you drink enough of it, you will see God. In fact, I'm on it right now. <laughs> well, I'm sure my, my favourite bumper sticker fits in there somewhere of my karma just ran over your dogma. <laughs> oh, there's the new brew. That's going on the studio wall. That's going to the studio wall right next to... Uh, life's hard, get a helmet. Yeah. And not every day is a Doris day. So, Robbo, it's over to you. Here we go. Robbo's Nifty 90. All right, so here we go, Patria. Robbo's Nifty 90 for Christmas Day. What's your favourite place to celebrate Christmas? India. India. Ooh. Favourite thing for Christmas lunch? Friends. I thought you might say curry after you'd seen India. That's gold. <laughs> that is gold. Absolutely. What's your most treasured Christmas experience? Being with family. Nice. And what message would you have our listeners remember for Christmas Day? Love each other. The best Christmas present you ever received? A kiss. Three words you would use to describe Christmas Day? Fun, loving, Exotic. Okay, and thinking outside of Christmas Day, thinking Christmas season, what's one thing you never get tired of doing each Christmas season? Telling people I love them. What disappoints you the most about our approach to Christmas these days? Uh, It's too much about the presents. Yeah, nice. What's best done slowly on Christmas Day? Uh, Loving each other. What's the best present you got for Christmas? (laughs) Oh, gosh. I'll have to stick with the kiss. Oh, look, I think there's a theme going here, folks. And finally, (laughs) what's your favourite Christmas carol? Let's go with uh, Good King Wenceslas. There we go. He was doing something for someone else. (laughs) There you go. There's a theme in there, folks. And if you can't get it, there's something wrong with you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I wish you both a, a really happy Christmas and, and yeah, a, a love-filled Christmas with your families. Patria, this has been absolutely beautiful. I knew it would just be a, a special way for us to finish um, our year. It just mm-hmm. is you, you, you're wise, you're loving, you're caring, you're sharing. It, um, you're, a, you're a force force of nature. Thank you so much for sharing. Where can people <laughs> find out more about you, Patria, and the work you do that people may want to contribute to what you're doing down there? Yeah, we'd love that. The Quest for Life um, Foundation, the, the website's just questforlife.com.au. Beautiful. And if we, if we can be of service to any of your listeners or their loved ones, then I hope they'll be in touch. Well, thank you so much for your time. We know you've got a busy time this time of the year. Have a wonderful Christmas. Lots of kisses, love and soap on a rope coming your way. And yes. some Buddha brew. And some Buddha brew. That'll get your Christmas day rocking if nothing else does. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Robo. Thanks, Gary. This is Rodney from Dan Murphy's. From all the guys in the back room who listen week in, week out, thanks to the Mojo Radio Show and Merry Christmas. The Mojo Radio Show. What a lovely lady. She's just so inspiring, isn't she? An incredible, beautiful spirit, an incredible, beautiful story, and the sheer volume of people that Patria has helped in the world is just 
it's it's really something. Yeah, it's amazing what she's gone through. I mean, we talk about personal grit. Some of the stories that she's telling about what she's experienced in her life and to come out the other side is such a shining light. In living her life, being of service to so many people, it's just inspiring, isn't it? The thing you find about Patria is when you sit with her or you meet her, she's got smiles in her eyes. I mean, the lady exudes warmth and love, and I think that came through in the Nifty Ninety. I think. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Look, I'm reading between the lines. I could be wrong, but I no, was I, I was close. hearing a lot of service and love coming out of yeah. her Nifty Ninety. Patria, what's saying. your favourite coffee? Oh, I just love coffee. I just love coffee. <laughs> I just love it. Whatever, just whatever you love, I love. That's right. So totally. um, she was fantastic. Before we wrap up, folks, a quick shout out and thank yous to Kat Swinton from Catalyst PR mm-hmm. who hooked us up with some incredible talent through the year to make our fun a little rock, a little country and a little bit gangster. Mm-hmm. Uh and our voice talent, who we love to death, we don't pay them, we don't love them that much, <laughs> but AP and Lofty Fulton, who are undoubtedly at the top voices in the world, uh, yeah. in, no sh- in no small thanks to the Mojo Radio Show. Absolutely. Uh, but thank you, boys, for, for doing everything. We all do it for love. We do it for fun. We do it for free. And the boys have done a great job in supporting us and making us sound awfully proper on the uh, on the airwaves. So you know what um, we should do one day? We should do an outtake show because <laughs> some of the yeah, stuff no, that we don't uh, put to air. <laughs> on iTunes, that will have a big red explicit exactly. stamp all over it. <laughs> but the other people we need to thank, mate, are... Everybody who's uh, got their headphones on or in at the moment listening to us, to every single one of you who've downloaded episode or episodes this year, thank you so much because uh, it's the one thing that really gets our mojo going with this show because um, that's the only reason we do it is to um, to help you guys and hopefully uh, be of service in some way. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. That wraps our Christmas show up. Now, we are going to come back and do one little show, and this is a personal show for Robbo and I. It's going to be our messages of rock. It's the messages we've personally taken from the year. It's a hmm. bit like... Remember back in the 70s and 80s, you'd buy the album, it was the essential <laughs> hits of 1977 or explosive hits, 1979. Well... These are our essential takeouts, our explosive takeouts that we have taken from the shows this year, from our guests, and we've put them into our own world and found we've had success with them. We're going to mix that with a little bit of country, a little bit of rock, maybe a little bit of gangster, a little bit of jazz. I don't know about the gangster. Maybe some jazz. <laughs> so there you go, folks. That'll be a special show that's coming up for you to listen to in between Christmas and New Year. It's our little fun tribute. It's just us. We're basically going to dick around the studio, throw some stuff down, and uh, if you want to have a little sample, it'll be there for you on iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks, everybody. Merry Christmas, Mr. Robertson. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Thank you very much for an amazing year. Let's play a little Christmas carol to take us out, and on that we are out. Roger that. Practicing real hard, yeah. Clients, you've been you've been rehearsing real hard now. So Santa bring you a new saxophone, right? Everybody out there been good or what? Oh, that's not many, not many. You guys are in trouble out here. <laughs> and you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not bow. I'm telling you why. Say.
Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.